0: Inner voice. A heartfelt chat with Dr. Fujian.
1: Hello, everyone. Welcome. This is a heartfelt chat with Dr. Fujian podcast. It's so great to be with you today. I'm Dr. Fujian Zhang, a psychotherapist, author, and the originator of the awareness integration um, theory. And our conversation is about what matters most in our life our minds, our thoughts, feelings, actions. Relationships and our fulfillment in this beautiful journey of life, for all of you beautiful souls who have been asking for our latest book, I wanted to share with you uh, what's out there for you if, and what could which book would be of interest to you. So the first one is internet um, intentional parenting, and it could be for international parents. This book is a practical guide to awareness integration theory with my amazing co-authors, Dr. Nicole Jaffari and Dr. Eileen Manukian. They're both experts in uh, child development, um, you know, early development and all the way to young adult. And this is what we've done actually in this book, Intentional Parenting. This is for parents, this is for educators, this is for teachers. This is for everyone who one way or another is uh, having uh, to experience raising uh, their children. And um, we go through chapters from infancy all the way to uh, young adulthood and go through every same kind of age group and uh, give you cognitive development, emotional development, motor skills development, things that you could be looking forward to and seeing what is um, needs to occur. And then how to parent from the awareness integration path so that um, it uh, raises um, emotionally intelligent um, children and um, independent and people, the children who can be accountable and responsible for what's going on with them. So it's a a very impactful book um, for you to have. Now, the other book um, that's been out for a while, it's actually the book for therapists and coaches who are interested in learning how to um, do the awareness integration therapy or coaching with their clients. It's clear the past, create a new future and live a fulfilled life. And uh, this has been forwarded by Dr. Jeffrey Zayek. Um, It's a great book that takes you through all the phases, the six phases of the awareness integration path that you can actually work with um, your clients um, as, you, as you like. And we also have um, uh, certification programs that it would be wonderful for you to, to become part of our group because Fujon app is coming out. And we um, like to have a lot of our providers certify um, psychotherapists across the world, coaches across the world, to be able to take the same type of awareness and therapy and work with people who are going to be working with Fujon app. In this episode, I'm so excited to chat with two sisters, Ronnie Tishner. Was a PhD in sociology specializing in family studies from the University of Michigan, and Jenny Weaver, who's received her degree from Vanderbilt School of Nursing and is a board-certified family nurse practitioner with over 25 years of experience in family practice and mental health. Their new book, Healing Begins With Us, Breaking the Cycle of Trauma and Abuse and Rebuilding the Sister Bond. Shares their inspiring and hopeful story of healing from their painful upbringing. And you can get their book at dot ronnieandjenny.com, ronnieandjenny.com. We had an amazing conversation, very in depth, um, and um, just sharing about what they went through. I share about some of the things that I had experienced. And I think that um, you, I'm positive, you will enjoy this uh, podcast as much as I did. Subscribe to this podcast, subscribe to my YouTube channel, connect with me through any of the website, any of the website or any of the social media. If you are a person who likes doing self-help book, then please get um, Life Reset, the awareness integration path um, to the uh, life you want. And uh, this is available for you on my website, um, and uh, or you could get it from Amazon. And I think that you can go through the process. At this point, uh, this book is being taught in um, Cal State University, Long Beach. We've done a lot of study with, <clears throat> with people who've gone through the book and have done the journaling and we've alleviated um, some of the research has shown. Uh, just by doing the work at with this book, um, their depression and anxiety uh, minimized around 67%. So, I really hope that you get to enjoy um, this book um, as much as I've, I've seen um, others really go through and uh, experience the book and go through their life patterns. And um, obviously, if you do need to work with people, um, then you know they will be also available for you, therapists and coaches who can take your process and go a little bit deeper. So, without further ado, um, here are Ronnie Tishner and Jenny Weaver for you. And I hope that you enjoy this conversation as much as I have.
0: well welcome
1: ladies ronnie tishner and jenny weaver two sisters who wrote this beautiful book healing begins with us welcome to the show
2: thank you so much so much it's good good to to be here
1: definitely um it's a wonderful book it's um it's it really shares the two of you there has every chapter it has excerpts from um what you shared what you went through and how your life um evolved in the family but more than anything how your friendship beyond your sisterhood um was part of the healing sharing and i'm so grateful for the two of you to share this experience i come from a family where uh my father was an alcoholic and we have um we have um, you know uh, stepsisters or half sisters and brothers from different uh, moms which we've come together as grown-ups and it was so interesting that at one point I was sitting with my older brother and the younger brother all from three different moms same dad but three different eras of my father and as we were sitting together we all looked like we have never met the man you say it was your father. Because Mm -hmm. all of these decades, this man was so different that each one of us knew him as completely another human being, right? So, Mm -hmm. um, and, and we all went through this conversation about, wow, like we've lived with a person and then, you know, one is in denial because they were having fun with him. One was suffering. One you know met him uh, was in his life when he was completely out of the alcohol, but completely depressed, like he hadn't worked on himself. He just went into a very huge depression. So as I was going over your book, it really resonated with me in in so many layers. So um, so first, I just wanted to thank you, and then um, share with me um, what was the process of going and creating this book. And then from there, we'll go obviously back to the content of what was stated in the book and how it was for you and your family.
2: Sure. Well, it it's something that we have talked about for a long time, writing a book together. And um, it took a while for me anyway, to see how we could do that. Because I've done a lot of writing on my own as an academic and i couldn't imagine what it would be like for one of us to sit with a laptop on our laps and be trying to you know wordsmith one sentence after another and it wasn't until we started our podcast about 3 years ago where we had these conversations about our family and just all kinds of topics things we've learned along the way and i could see i could see how it could come together i could see how we could tell our story in a book in a way very similar to what we did in the podcast so much of the book most chapters have these extensive uh conversations or dialogue between jenny and me where we're just talking about what it felt like and and um it's funny the way the way you began this conversation we are the opposite in that there are three of us i'm the oldest jenny's the youngest there's a brother in between and there's less than three years between the three of us so we are compact in terms of the time space in which our parents parented us but because of the different roles we had in the family my with me being the hero um jenny being the scapegoat our brother being kind of the middle you know classic invisible child we did have different parents too but because they were pushing us to behave in particular ways to conform to the expectations of these roles so and and some of that does come out in the book where I'm talking about various things and, and Jenny will say, well, that was for you, Ronnie, that's true for you. That wasn't true for me. And um, so it really is amazing how they say no, no individual has the same parents, right? Even if they're siblings, no two people are the same parents. And it's true, it's even more true for I think dysfunctional families where there's so much else going on uh, in, the, in those dynamics.
1: Absolutely, I um, I'm a therapist and I work with addiction for almost thirty years, and the you know families who who go through this, and that is so true that each uh, child um, and even the mate takes on particular standard roles, and then everybody uh, feeds that role mm. until someone finally says, "I don't think so," and I think Jenny, you were the one who played that role, right?
0: Yes. As the scapegoat, it was my job to receive all of the family pain and kind of be the garbage can for the family. You know, it, it was all kind of dumped on me. And, and so it it was, um, yeah, it, it was, very it was a very painful place to be, to always being told you're not enough. You're not good enough. You're, um, you're a failure. You're uh, lazy or stupid or an embarrassment or whatever the, whatever the garbage is that at the moment that the parents or the other siblings want to dump on you and so it's a place of of living with constant pain and rejection and it it is a tough place to live and i think the, for the scapegoat and i also later kind of took on some of the mascot tendencies in my teenage years learning to use humor to diffuse the tension and hopefully you know skirt another explosion or possibly physical abuse. Um, so I think when you grow up with that, you either, you either keep asking yourself what's wrong with me, or you say, um, you know, I need to figure this out. I need to find out what is wrong with me. Why, why am I hurting so much? Or you numb it. You find ways to, you know, maybe maladaptively cope with it, right? Um, and that can be experimenting with alcohol, drugs, you know, food, um, any number of things to try to, to numb that pain. And so I, I tried um, certainly following in my father's footsteps and, and experimented with alcohol in my teens and decided, yeah, that's not the way I wanna go. You know, so, um, so after a while, you know, it was for me, it was getting that big, you know, why? Why, why do I feel this way? Why, do, why am I so unhappy and, and how can I fix this? And asking that big question of how can I fix this? in counseling is what started unwrapping or peeling away the layers of the onion and and it was like oh i wasn't born a mess <laughs> this was this was pushed on me this was dumped on me and and unwrapping all of that denial is tough to do definitely very much um
1: one of the major um uh feelings and states that are there for people who live um, within an addiction system is anxiety. And I think people take on anxiety in a different way. So for example, in a hero, like at least you you take on anxiety because you can do stuff. So, you know, the releases anxiety, we feel kind of in control, but it's stemming from that. And sometimes the role of the scapegoat is just, is being bombarded with all the anxiety and has no idea how to cope with that. And then it becomes like sometimes in a destructive level. I remember this conversation because two of my brothers also became um, addicts, hardcore addicts. Another brother went, you know, went into different aspects. But when me and my sister were talking, and she said, "Everybody's, you know, all of the male in our, um, like the role model that after our father and became that. I wonder how come the, you know, the two of us are not an addict. But I was an addict. You know, I smoked cigarette for. 35 years and then changed it to food and then go back and forth and she said you know I don't know what i am then. how come I'm not an addict I'm like trust me your anxiety the the level of the way that you show anxiety and it goes into rage that is your addiction like your addiction is into anxiety and rage and anxiety and rage and that's how you show it um but it shows up in every one of us who's in that family somehow, unless you're, like you said, you're aware, you go into the system of healing and you really um, look at, come out of the denial and look at how it had impacted you in that way. So Ronnie, how did it impact you in um, in the way that you, because you were the elder um, and you took on the role of, of the hero Um, How did it impact you in life? Let's say I would even call it like positive and negative.
2: Right. So, yeah. So the hero is the one that all the family's hopes and dreams are pinned on. And my function as a hero was to distract, but in a much different way than Jenny, right? They could sort of deflect and say, oh, all of our problems are really Jenny's fault. She's really the problem. For me, it was, if anyone was to look at the family and, and say, criticize our parents for who they are as people, or the kind of parents they are, they could point to me, this ultra high achieving child, and say, "Look, there can't possibly be anything wrong with us because we created this great kid." So I was a straight A student. I was talented musically. I started taking piano lessons at the age of four. I took them for ten years. I sang in all the musical groups at school. I sang the leads in school musicals. I, you know, just all this stuff, and. It was, I remember when I was writing about it in the book, I got like two paragraphs into talking about what it was like to be the hero and kind of listing, not even a complete list, but just, you know, kind of the highlights of the things that I did as a child that were um, so you know, I that I excelled and was 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 recognized for that. And I just had to I just start bawling. I had to stop and have a good cry because it was like and it wasn't that these things weren't enjoyable in and of themselves, at least some of them. It wasn't that I didn't take pride in them on my own. It was the pressure, right? I felt the pressure to, to be successful in that way. And so I, I struggled with perfectionism for a very, very, very long time. And then for years, I called myself a recovering perfectionist because the tendencies were still there. Um, I still, and there are now it's remnants. Um, I, I really still don't like to be wrong. <laughs> but I will accept it. I will accept that it's possible for me to be wrong. Jenny's laughing because she's watched the evolution, right? Um, I don't have to be in control of everything uh, all the time, which I used to have to be, right? So it's it's this unwinding. I know when I, one of the first things that we tried in early in our recovery process, besides counseling that Jenny mentioned and reading everything, we get our hands on, on alcoholic or um, homes with addiction and homes with abuse in them was trying uh, Al-Anon and adult children of alcoholics, and I remember what, if it wasn't the first meeting, it was one of the very first meetings I went to. And they said, "If it took you thirty years to get to this point, it will take you thirty years to unwind it." I thought, "Oh, that is really bad news." <laughs> I did not want to hear that, but but it's true, right? It's you are you have these these behavior patterns and these ways of reacting to things. Uh, these emotions that have been conjured up and squashed and maybe come out sideways. I mean, you've got all these patterns that you're trying to unwind slowly and it takes, it takes time to create those new patterns and to let go of the ones that are no longer serving you. And that's, that took me a while to sort of get to is that early on, I saw these as you know my character flaws and I knew I was being too hard on myself. And then I would, catch myself doing that. And I berate myself for being too hard on myself. And it was just this silly, never ending cycle. And I finally got to the point of, you know, you're just, you're, you're going to have a lifelong process of letting go of the things that aren't serving you anymore. Like, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for keeping me safe or making me feel like I was safe, but this is no longer helping me. It's actually getting in my way of living the way I want to live. And so I need to let that go. Think consciously about trying to do something different um, all of that so it 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 does i mean some roles obviously are more desirable than others The scapegoat is by far the worst um but they all have their their pain they all have their um, patterns that they tend to generate and they all have their challenges in trying to step out of them
1: absolutely everyone please get this book it's a wonderful book it's um healing begins with us breaking the cycle of trauma and abuse and rebuilding the sibling bond by ronnie tishner and jenny weaver um jenny when you think about um the pressure the amount of pressure that was on you and going through the anxiety and then trying to kind of cope with it the best ability that you had and some of it went back to the role modeling that you had what was your process that you finally said Enough is enough. And then this blast came in, or you, you know, decided to share and change and shift.
0: I I think it started when I married a really wonderful man who was very loving and supportive. Um, that was one of the healthiest relationships as an adult that I'd ever had. And and then starting down the road of becoming parents, I knew that I wanted my children to have a better start in life. I would already been through some personal counseling. Um, but I was still struggling with the denial that my, that, that we were an alcoholic family and, and all the while I was also going to school. I had started to school, uh, down that path and taking all of those psychology courses and really human lifespan and development and talking about the addicted family dynamics. My, my, our first daughter was, um, around a year, maybe 18 months old when I took that class and I was sitting in that class saying, that's my family. Ronnie's the hero. I'm the scapegoat. Our brother's the invisible child. And and so all of those roles and I identified that I took on some of the mascot roles as a teenager to try to deflect some of the rage in our home. And it it hit me like a ton of bricks and um and it was it was really it still took time for me to have the courage to speak about it with Ronnie it took time because our relationship was just starting to develop we were just starting to talk to each other about parenting and how we wanted to parent differently so we weren't quite out of our denial yet and it was really probably a year later um, or or maybe even a year and a half later when um, our dad was was too Inebriated at eleven o'clock in the morning to drive Ronnie to the airport for her flight. That I said, Ronnie, Dad's an alcoholic. We're an alcoholic family, you know. And and we, that was kind of the turning point for a one of the many turning points, actually. But it it really, you know, I I just lived with this chronic anxiety, not knowing that that's what it was. Um, like I was in a pressure cooker all the time, and that's how I identify that I'm that I'm checking back in with that anxiety or feeling that anxiety is I just feel pressure building up especially in my in my in my heart in my chest and I think when you live with it you're 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 born into this you're you're pushed into pigeonholed into a role to play from toddlerhood on you don't know any different Um, and so waking up from that from that, I, that, that huge mountain of denial it comes in layers and, and it, I can't say enough how grateful I am that I had this amazing older sister who saw my pain, recognized that I was struggling and opened that door a little bit to allow me to be vulnerable and for us to start chipping away at the denial. And that's, it's, it's scary. It's scary when you start talking about it, when you start naming it and it's really hard to do it on your own. I will say, you know, I was in counseling, talking about this stuff and thinking, God, I, I, you know, I'm just starting to have this relationship with my sister. How do I talk to her about this without like blowing her mind, you know, and, and blowing up the relationship. And so I think it was, it was a, a, great, a great mercy and a great gift that, that she was a little receptive to hearing it. And the more we talked, she became more receptive. And the more vulnerable I was with her and the more vulnerable she was with me, that trust just began to bloom. And so did our healing. Beautiful.
1: And Ronnie, how was it for you to open this path um, with, Uh, Jenny because it seems like you had Jenny going through this process also brought for you the opening and going through the denial and looking at you know your your addiction was the perfectionist a part of Mm -hmm. that and working on yourself but then as you um opened this path how did your relationship change with Jenny like at the beginning I'm assuming how you were saying was like you needed to control not only you know you also had the role of the controlling your sibling. so you mm-hmm. had become you know this agent of the family to to also carry the message and you know have everybody be perfect and to shift that aspect of of as Jenny just said, this allowance, you know allowing her to be who she is, um, not needing to be perfect and the other side is perfect as is right. Um, right. How was that for you? What was that process?
2: so um <clears throat> so this this whole sort of breaking out of the denial probably went on for about three or four years mm-hmm. from the first time she and I had the conversation where she was honest with me about the pain that she was in to this you know, the infamous too drunk to drive me to the airport uh, experience that we had with our dad and it was it was hard for me to open up to that completely i mean i was i was able to see that she was in pain and that our parents were hurting her and i wanted that to stop but i also you know part of the denial is often the creating of this this myth about what's really happening in the family so in our family, it was as we are this close, warm, loving, happy family. And all of those things, right? Close, warm, loving, happy. And so to admit that things were as bad as they were meant that the myth was, was exactly that. And things were so bad for Jenny. And this one for at least a year, might have been longer, that she would say to me, she because she was living near her parents and I was living farther away. So she was getting... She's not just a scapegoat. She was getting constant doses from them of, of cruel and brutal behavior, and she would say to me, "I can't take this anymore. I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna walk out of here, and I'm never gonna come back." I'm like, "No, please, please, please don't do that. Please don't do, please don't, please don't, please don't destroy our warm, close, loving, happy family." And you know, as the hero, I can do anything. As the hero, our parents would listen to me more than they would anybody else. I could make a rational argument that they couldn't undercut even if they didn't like it. And so I was kind of playing on those traits that I had to try to keep things together. Let's be, let's really be who we say we are as a family. Um, You know, my parents will sort of make some concessions along the way enough to keep me still trying, still trying to keep everything happening. And, you know, finally we got to the point where um, that, that, you know, too drunk to drive me to the airport incident. She says, dad's an alcoholic. And even then I said, well, I mean, and I, we did behave in a terrible, abusive, ugly way that whole morning. And I saw it, I acknowledged it, but I wouldn't say he was an alcoholic. I said, he abuses alcohol sometimes. And she sort of rolled her eyes at me like, come on, we've been using that euphemism for a while now. We know it's not true anymore. You know, it's not true. So She had to drag me kicking and screaming to that acknowledgement. And it was only because we had begun to have this relationship where we talked to each other. And that's really important. Um, You know, as as a therapist, you'll be familiar with the the phrase triangular communication, where you've got one person who tries to keep a lid on everything in the family. All information flows through them so that they can um, uh, make sure the truth doesn't get out. And that was our mother. So even as we got to be in our 20s and early 30s, um, and this is the days before cell phones and long distance calls were expensive and so on. So we would call home once a week dutifully to talk to our parents living far away from them. But we did not call each other. We did not talk to each other. Even if one of us was in the room, our mother would never put us on the phone. We were not allowed slash encouraged to talk to each other. So, um, you know, it wasn't until we did have this this time where we decided, well, we both have children. We wanna have each other for support as we're raising our children where we start talking to each other. And so that's what did it, was that little bit of an opening of a direct line of communication. And then once that, as as Jenny said, she allowed herself to be vulnerable and open up even more. I mean, it was, it was obvious. She was just tormented by her parents, just ridiculously hammered by them continuously no business having kids. You're a terrible mother. You should divorce your husband. You've made a complete mess out of your life. I mean, on and on and on and on and on. And um, I wasn't treated that way. I mean, they found other ways to hurt me, but I wasn't treated that way. I'm not the scapegoat Jenny was. So it was just really, it was the fact that we actually did start talking to each other, even if it was just a little bit, that opened the door, a crack, and then allowed us And then everything, right? All bets were off. Eventually everything um, that we had tried to hide, that we were in denial about, you just couldn't do it anymore.
1: Well, everyone, go to the book, Healing Begins With Us, Breaking the Cycle of Trauma and Abuse and Rebuilding the Sibling Bond by by Ronnie Tishner and Jenny Weaver. Um, Jenny were you able to ever confront your parents or share with them or at one point I mean I think the book is pretty open about what it uh, you know uh, what the two of you have shared but was there a time that you needed to take a stand for yourself after
0: healing and sharing some things with them
2: we they're really they're
0: as in a lot of abusive relationships, because there was not just the addiction, but there was intergenerational trauma, abuse uh, on every level, and just trying to name what the problems were caused our parents to spiral out of control. Mm-hmm. I was the target of their of their rage, and that never changed. Um, we they confronted me multiple times. Uh, they stalked me. Confronted me at church. Um, wrote ugly letters, phone calls, all of it. I did try to answer their questions as calmly as I could. Unfortunately, they were never reasonable. They were never rational. They were really just psychological attacks. So, at, at when and this was after Ronnie and I in the book, we talk about the intervention that we attempted with our father together. Um, so even after that, the, the abuse didn't stop. Um, I was still, targeted. And, and for, you know, sadly, you know, we just had to cut contact. Um, after a while, I, I just said, you know, I've done everything I can to try to answer your questions. Um, you know, you've called me, you've screamed and cursed at me and called me names and, and this is going to stop. And so I didn't respond to their, their mail. You know, I would send it back after a while I quit reading it. Uh, the phone calls I didn't answer the call um we did after a number of years um ronnie and i attempted to go see them at their home they had invited us so we i believe so we went um to hope to hoping against all common sense that that things may have changed maybe we could have just limited contact but it was during that visit that they they exploded again and just just dumped rage on us and told us that we were dead to them and to leave their home and never come back. So through the years, they have continued to um, occasionally will send an ugly postcard or um, they actually stalked me again. I moved a thousand miles away and they followed me to the small town where my family had moved. So there still is just tremendous mental illness there. And it, it's not something that is in my power to fix. And Ronnie and I talked about this in our book, you know, you, you can forgive others to the best of your ability as a human. Um, but reconciliation requires both parties to be able to agree on what the problems are and to make changes in each of our individual behaviors. And when you're dealing with someone who is an abuser, who is severely mentally ill, um, you can't, you can't fix them. And, the best thing you can do for your own healing is to step out of range and stay out of range and that is what i chose to do for to to give my children a better start in life and to allow myself to heal and to live in peace
1: right i know that there's um I, you know i've also counseled a lot of the parents where their children at one point just like yourself has Open their eyes, and you know they're in the phase of rage because they're going to counseling. And for example, one of the things that happens in therapy is that as we become aware of things, obviously we tap into um, uh, not only the powerlessness experiences, but also our strength. And many times our strength shows up as our rage because that's the way we need to take a stand for (laughs) ourselves. That rage sometimes then gets. Communicated um, to the the parents from obviously a blame, and then take it as blame position versus let's look at what the issue is. Um, each parent goes to um, the area of I've done the best I knew, and you know that's all I could do, and you know you don't understand what I went through, and and many times it's uh, because there's so much in it, and they it's very hard for them to see. Um, that although maybe they didn't do this obviously in the intention to hurting their children but it did, it did hurt and that um then it becomes like a personal attack as is like I don't know anything else to do now the same conversation of the denial continues and it takes a long time sometimes for parents also to break that denial and that's only if they choose also to go to therapy and look at those angles and maybe come out of the denial and maybe can handle, you know, responsibility without necessarily holding a blame, but mm-hmm. hold the responsibility without the blame, you know, and mm-hmm. uh, it's a process and not, not every parent has the ability to go through that process, unfortunately. And then they go through the experience of like how dare you we've done so much for you we've done da 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 and you guys are both parents and you know how much it takes you know a parent to go through parenting and and what they do so they see the part that they've done with a good intention but not necessarily also see that you know without the intention of harming that there is harm that has gotten created And then the vicious cycle of kind of like blame and attack kind of continues. And I can see um, how that has continued in your
2: family. Well, we do know that they had their own traumas and we do have compassion for what they experienced. We know some of it. Um, They have shared things with us over the years. Um, We did not share those things in the book because that wasn't our story to tell. Um, So there is more to their story, uh, certainly. Um, and, um, the thing, I guess what we kept coming back to is that we were as clear as we could be, um, as we were coming out of our own process of, you know, breaking through the denial and so on about what they were, like, as Jenny said, we tried to explain what we felt the problems were in our family growing up and make connections to what they had told us about their own families. Um, we we tried to um, we tried to uh, make um, you know give them opportunities to talk about uh, make it clear to them what, what was we were still upset about and give them opportunities to address those issues and they didn't want to have anything to do with it so they they even in the, even I mean we weren't even talking about the past just what's happening right now in this moment can you stop doing these things to Jenny. In particular, that was our main concern. It's the way they're treating Jenny. We're not doing anything to Jenny that's a problem. And um, so our, and then of course, as we look back at our childhood, the things that they did, they hid. They did not do them in front of other people. And so uh, to us, that meant they knew on some level what they were doing was wrong, even in the moment. And so those are the places where we hold them accountable. And yes, we did get in touch with some rage that we had suppressed over the way we've been treated as children, but not in our conversations with them because we knew that would never get us anywhere. So we were as calm and reasonable as we could be in talking to them, did not yell, did not curse. They felt very free to do that to us. And so we we felt like we there wasn't anything else we could think of to do to try to bring them along. As you said, um... For some people, and this is kind of where we've landed, is that there's been so much that's happened to them. Um, We think that there are some, we know there's some mental illness there in addition to the choices they made around abuse and addiction. And we've kind of come to the place where we feel like if they were to admit that they did anything wrong, like this whole house of cards would come tumbling down and they they would lose who they are or just be so so disoriented that they couldn't continue. I mean, that's, that's kind of where we landed is that they just, they just can't for whatever reason, but all these years, anytime, like I've had times where my father, usually not my mother will reach out to me and anytime they have, I will take the call or I will call them back to see where they are, right. To take their temperature or have things changed for them. Do they want to talk through some of these things um, with a different perspective? And sadly, it's been over 25 years. And every time I've tried to meet them, when they ask to talk, there hasn't really been any change. So
1: I do agree with you that there's a a, there's an ego structure that has been built and your whole sense of being is attached to that ego structure. And if you if anything kind of tries to crack it um that you're nobody then you have no idea who you are and the anxiety becomes so much and and imagine that the anxiety is already underneath the whole concept of um the addiction and the addiction process and maybe your mom's whole um existence is also related to uh your father you know one of the things that i see a lot in the dynamic of um addictions between couples is that the person who's an addict they're their you know favorite uh, they're they're married to their drug of choice and then the person who's married to them is also addicted now to their drug of choice is the person who is an addict Mm -hmm. um so it it becomes this concept that their whole level of being is attached to the person who who's an addict and getting you know how to be attached to them because they're the person who's an addict is not attached to anybody except their drug of choice. so it's it's a it's an interesting dynamic that I've watched thirty years with couples who one of them is is an an addict. So I could see that this is a process that could really you know be a uh, that it's hard. sometimes the only time that I've seen this break is when the addict does something or the alcoholic does something to the person directly which suddenly it's like oh my god like they're even betraying me and you know some somehow this breaks but until the person who's an addict holds the concept the codependence continues um, in a very very you know enmeshed level and um, and then anybody who attacks of that concept, uh, it's it's going to be shunned away. So I can see. And unfortunately, if the if the addiction is still l- creates a functional life, it's hard to uh, break it. You usually and, and until it creates a complete non-functional life, and there's nobody else who can help it and bring it out. Sometimes the denial has to break, but as long as there's still some sort of functionality, it continues. I've seen um, this pattern hopefully end sometimes before the parents are dying. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, sometimes it's almost like as you're coming to the end and you know you gotta let go of that ego, suddenly the ego crashes and says, "Eh, maybe I just need to... um, ask for forgiveness or relate and connect so sometimes mm-hmm. that happens and sometimes that doesn't and we have to complete our um our relationship after their death like with my father I had to actually complete my relationship with him after he passed away and not during the time that he was he was alive um and that was the time that after, after he passed away the all the siblings sat together and were, you know everyone was like now sharing their reality with each other and it was so interesting that each person was trying to forgive for completely something else but it also came about well wow each one of us had such a different father at that time um, to be able to do that um Jenny how are you in the process of forgiveness
0: I think I've forgiven my parents you know many years ago um it's You know, it. We are able to look back on some of the family traditions that we did at holidays, and I certainly have carried those on for my children. I mean, I have four grown children now, um, between the age of 24 and 32, and three grandchildren, and and so I'm able to share, you know, some uh, funny memories or, um, you know, some like I said, some of the family traditions that we embrace. Christmas and Easter. And so I think, I think as far as forgiveness, I don't harbor any, any hatred or anger at all. Um, I, I have great, as Ronnie said, I, I have tremendous compassion for them. You know, we realize we're very, very aware that this type of trauma is intergenerational trauma. It's learned much of it is learned behavior, um, but we also have a choice as individuals we are not we are not doomed uh, to create the same dynamics we and so Ronnie and I made very conscious uh, effort and choices to marry someone very different from our father to create a marriage relationship that's very different from what was role modeled for us and to parent very differently than we were parented and it was really the desire to love and nurture our children and to be as conscious parents as we could um, at while we were recovering and healing is what motivated and accelerated our recovery and our connection with each other.
1: Beautiful. You have written um, some specific steps and I wanted to read it uh, for people. One, you said in order to connect is to recognize the roles that had been forced upon us to acknowledge that our relationships could be better Three, agree that making it better was a shared goal. Four, communicate directly with each other in all things. And five, see each other with new eyes. And um, I think that, that's beautiful for people to know. And then uh, as a final, you were finalizing the uh, manuscript and um, Ronnie, your daughter sent an Instagram post uh, from Jabby App and I love this. It said, never, underst- never underestimate a cycle breaker. Not only did they experience years of generational trauma, but they stood in the face of the trauma and fought to say, this ends with me. This is brave. This is powerful. This comes with a significant cost." Never underestimate a cycle breaker. That it was beautiful.
2: Yeah, it, it made us both cry. Um, and in fact, initially, when we were thinking about titling the book, we had titled it, It Ends With Us, mm-hmm. This Ends With Us. So it's the, we were sort of working with that title. and um, But then we thought, you know, we want to actually turn that around and make it positive because we were motivated by like, we got to stop this. We got to break this cycle. But it's like, okay, then what are we moving toward? Because you can stop drinking, but then you are just a dry drunk mm-hmm. if you don't have an active recovery process, Right. So okay, we can say we're not going to hit our children. Um, we can say we're not going to scream at them and tell them how terrible they are. But what are we going to do? Are we going to nurture the, the the beautiful little lights that they are? And you know, so so what's what's the positive piece of that? And how do we how do we um, move forward? And one of the things we just felt really strongly about was that we've you know we read a lot in the recovery literature, and there's still a, there's a lot of great work now looking at uh, childhood trauma, intergenerational trauma, adverse childhood experiences. You know, people call it different things. Um, Excellent work out there. But what we don't see a lot of discussion about is the sibling relationship and the, the negative impact that these dynamics in abusive and addictive homes have on the siblings and how people can grow up and dislike each other or hate each other's guts for their entire lives, not realizing it's not their fault. parents pitted them against each other and so we felt like um that was what we wanted to bring to the table we wanted people to just to maybe hear about our story and think wow i have a sibling that i don't get along with very well maybe it has nothing to do with us maybe it has to do with how our parents treated us and how they what what they told us about each other because we know our mother used to lie like a rug about us. And it wasn't until we started talking to each other that we discovered that. And boy, she was not happy when she realized we were talking to each other. She knew the jig was up, that she wasn't going to be in control for much longer. So yeah, um,
1: I, I speak yeah. With, with a lot of people who go through the sibling and that this is a great, great book, uh, definitely for them to look at, because when you are available to be able to chat with each other and Take on, you know, get be intimate in your conversations a lot, a lot open. And there's a threat, there's a, a fear that happens within the structure of family at times. It's like, oh, all the, you know, alliances are shifting. And when the alliances shift, obviously anxiety goes higher again. And it's as if like, oh, the whole structure of the family might crumble. And it doesn't. And even if it crumbles, great, it gets rebuilt in a whole new, different way. When it there's a healing actually happening. Healing yes. begins with us breaking the cycle of trauma and abuse and rebuilding the sibling bond. By Ronnie Tishner, and Jenny Weaver. Um, one minute,
0: anything we have not touched upon that you must 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 tell our audience. I would just quickly say, learn to trust your inner guidance, learn to trust your heart, because it will—it it is your higher self, your intuition, and it is guiding you to the best life that you can live. Yes. Okay, last words from you, Ronnie.
2: Oh, I think that's absolutely right, is that when you are raised in a home with addiction and abuse, you learn to be very vigilant to try to keep yourself safe, but you are told that what you're experiencing isn't really happening. Right? So there's a lot of gaslighting that goes on. So people often are disconnected from their own inner wisdom. So I would just echo what Jenny said, how important it is to reconnect and trust yourself.
1: Thank you so much for taking the time to be with me and our audience. Thank you, Jenny. Thank you, Ronnie. It was a great, great conversation. Amazing book. And I hope that it brings the siblings closer together and brings the whole family closer together when we have the the courage to open up, share, release, clean up, and heal, and then, you know, reconnect and reconciliate. And everybody who's out there, thank you so much for being with us. Create an amazing life
0: for yourself and everyone around you. And until next week, bye-bye.